Vision Edge gives you less eye strain and reduced damage caused by blue light. We like to call Vision Edge sunscreen for the eye. It all starts with your highest level of visual performance, only achievable through scientifically proven Vision Edge. Hello, and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country, sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also leave comments. There are close to 300 systemic disease states that can manifest in the eye. New technology in eye care allows the optometrist to examine the body's tiniest blood vessels. This allows for the earliest detection of systemic disease states, such as prediabetes, diabetes, and other vascular diseases. Detecting patients early on the diabetes spectrum can prevent or delay the development of diabetes and all its complications. Today's guest, Dr. Craig Thomas, is an expert in subclinical eye disease and has connected the dots between subclinical eye disease and early detection of systemic disease. Dr. Craig Thomas is a noted educator, lecturer, and author. He practices optometry in Dallas, Texas. Welcome, Dr. Thomas. Well, thank you, Carrie. Good morning. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for doing this. So, Craig, let's get into it. What has changed in eye care that allows the optometrist to be able to diagnose disease so early? Well, there's two things, Gary, that have changed. The, the first is technology, and the second is information. Uh, they basically go together. Uh, you don't know which one comes first, the chicken or the egg. Uh, but for, for, for me, you know, they're almost running a parallel course. So as I obtain newer and more advanced technology, I seem to gather and learn more information at the same time. So we have a lot more knowledge than we had 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and the technology has exploded, you know, almost like a like NASA space shuttle, uh, where every year or two, it seems there's something new and, and innovative that gives us a, a different perspective on how to look at the eye and look at the body and, and take care of our patients. So those are the two big things, Kerry, is, is the information uh, is exploding and the technology is exploding. The eye is an incredible biomarker to help not only diagnose eye disease, but systemic disease. In fact, there's over a thousand, uh, there's over, over, uh, there's over a hundred autoimmune diseases and almost every one of them affects the eye. How can we use the eye as a biomarker for systemic disease? Well, there's, there's two primary things uh, that, that I use, uh, and it's one is, is the, the, the retina. Uh, we're looking at the retina. The retina is nerve tissue. Uh, so if everybody that's listening out there, you know, go back to your, your basic high school anatomy, think of your brain. The brain is part of the central nervous system. You've got cranial nerves that come off of the brain. The optic nerve is one of those. The, the optic nerve comes off the brain, goes into the back of the eye. And as eye doctors, as optometrists, we're privileged to be able to look at a part of the body that is so unique that, that there simply is nothing like it. Uh, we can look at nerve tissue while it's alive in, in, in real time and real space. 
We can look at blood vessels inside the body, not on the surface, not on the skin. We can look at vessels coming out of the nerves, blood vessels coming out of the tissue. We know what it's supposed to look like and what it looks like when it's abnormal. So those are the two biggest things, Carrie, is looking at, at brain tissue, at nerve tissue in vivo, I mean, just in real life, and looking at the blood vessels and making assessments about the person's vascular health by simply looking at the blood vessels in that natural state, because we're the only ones that can do that. Eye doctors, the only, there's no other doctors that look at the blood vessels in their natural state without cutting or doing something to get into there. So we've got unique opportunity and a unique skill set. And when you put those together, it's beneficial for our patients. What is subclinical disease? Subclinical disease is, is basically disease that you don't know you have that, that is there without signs or symptoms. So, so basically, if you had to condense it down, it's a person that has some disease process going on and they don't know about it. Uh, they don't have any complaints and they don't have any loss of function. So no signs, no symptoms. Uh, there's all kinds of diseases that present like that from start to finish. <clears throat> and most diseases present like that in their early phase, what we call the, the natural history of the disease. So you think of most diseases kind of in a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. So that's the natural history. How does the disease start? What, what does it look like when it's kind of get going? How does it look like when it's really advanced? And, and you know, doctors are trained to, to diagnose disease at any stage of that presentation. But for most of the patients and most of the time, the easier it is for the doctor to make the diagnosis, the worse it is for the patient. Uh, you know, the example I use with my patients is if the guy comes in complaining of chest pain and coughing up blood, you know, and we find out he's got lung cancer, you know, he's got three months to go. That's advanced disease. Uh, if we caught that thing three years earlier, we probably could save it. Well, most diseases like that, if you catch it early before you have a severe loss of, of function and structure, it's almost always better for the patient. Uh, there's, you know, that's about as simple as it gets. What's changed now, again, like we said in the beginning, the technology and the knowledge has changed. So the, the, the patients have always presented to our offices in all of these various stages of, of the natural history. Some people with early disease, some people with moderate disease, some people with advanced disease. We usually would miss the early disease uh, because of a lack of knowledge and technology. In 2020 and going into 2021, that's just not the way it is anymore. Uh, and we just need to get the word out to the patients and the doctors uh, to, to increase the utilization of the technology and to, to increase, uh, to continue to learn, uh, even as we are out of school for years and years and years. So, you know, we just still have a lot of work to do, a lot of, a lot of, of improvement to make, but there has been a lot of work already done and a lot of improvement made. Uh, patients that come to my office, patients that come to your office, they are receiving top of the line, can't be no better care. Uh, we just need to get the word out like we're doing now. So if, if, if someone's listening to the podcast and they happen to be going to an eye doctor that is not uh, practicing at the top of the ladder, then you know they might want to raise their hand and say, hey, doc, I heard this podcast. Uh, you might want to think about doing this. You know, we'll see. We'll see. You know, there's unbelievable technology. You know, when I went to optometry school and probably when you did, we used to look in the back of the eye with an ophthalmoscope. And the resolution was about 100 microns. Now the resolution with these special cameras that we have are at 10 microns, 10 times the resolution 
allowing us to diagnose systemic disease and eye disease much sooner. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I think one of my scanning lasers goes down to seven microns. Uh, I mean, it, I, I actually called one of my retina specialists when I was contemplating the, the purchase and I said, hey, I'm going to get this new instrument. What do you think? You know, and how does it compare with the one you've got? And he goes, well, you know, the one I've got goes down to 10 microns. And I go, well, the one I'm looking at goes down to seven microns. He goes, well, if you really think a three micron difference is going to make a difference in us making decisions, knock yourself out. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, we're down to the point of arguing about microns, you know, a thousandth of a millimeter. So, I mean, the technology is, is really advanced at looking at the back of the eye, the retina, the nerves, the different parts of the retina, the blood vessels. Uh, you know, we, we, you know we, we can kind of start talking about the newest thing uh, that, that you and I use, what's called OCTA, Optical Coherence Tomography Angiography. So most people that are listening have probably heard of angiography or angiograms. These are tests that you use to, to measure the blood flow inside the blood vessels inside the body. Ordinarily, you would have to get an injection of dye and then you would use some kind of special imaging, uh, you know, the, the fancy MRI clinic and do an MRA or Doppler ultrasound, you know, some type of invasive testing. You know, anytime you're getting an injection of dye into your body, I would, that's by definition an invasive test. So ordinarily, historically, when doctors wanted to get information on blood flow and blood perfusion, the amount of blood flow going into the tissue, you would have to do fairly sophisticated, invasive, expensive, uncomfortable and somewhat risky testing. Uh, we don't have to do any of that anymore. Uh, now, and not now, for the past several years, uh, if patients come to an office like mine or like yours, uh, you have the, the ability to obtain information on the person's vascular health with these sophisticated OCTA retinal imaging scanners. And I can now, in five minutes, tell a person whether they are, you know, you can't really make the definitive diagnosis without the blood test, of course. But in five minutes, I can tell a person that they probably have diabetes. Okay, I can do that. Uh, if, if the diabetes has been there for a while, if it's been there for a few years, I can do that. Uh, you can do that. The thousands of eye doctors in this country can do that right now if they have the technology and the knowledge base. So that's, that's a, a, a big thing is the, the advent of this new what's called OCTA technology. So for everybody that's listening, uh, you know, you need to ask your eye doctor, you know, Dr. Smith, do you have an OCTA device in this office to check the, the vascular health of my eyes? Yes or no? Uh, that may be, a, you know, an uncomfortable conversation, <clears throat> but if, you, if the patient has more knowledge than the doctor, uh, the patient might need another doctor. <laughs> you know, I don't know, <laughs> you know. So the, so the OCT angiography now could pick up disease much sooner than we were able to pick it up the traditional way. In fact, there's been studies done on that. What are the percentages that it shows that OCT angiography could actually pick up before we can the classic, with classic techniques? Well, you know, what we're, what we're talking about now, Kerry, let's, let's almost back up one step. You know, let's, you know, we're talking about now primarily people with diabetes coming into their eye doctor to have their annual diabetes surveillance eye examination, correct? And, and, and almost everybody that has diabetes knows the protocol. They know the rules and the regs. Uh, their medical doctor 
because it's in their best interest. Uh, it wants them to go get an eye examination once a year. At a minimum, uh, the eye should be dilated for the examination, generally speaking. And the eye doctors, me and you, and all of our colleagues, are, are charged with looking inside the person's eye and seeing if they have developed any complications from having systemic diabetes. So in this group of people, we know they have diabetes. We're not trying to see whether they're healthy or not. We know they have diabetes. The question for us is, do they have complications associated with the diabetes? Now, what you and I know is that in 1989, all of the doctors that are charged with doing this kind of stuff came up with rules and regs and guidelines that we call early diagnosis treatment study. It was a bunch of, bunch of uh, studies going on, but it was 30 years ago. And what these uh, the studies determined is that we are supposed to look in a person's eye, look in the different parts of the eye, and, and essentially, basically, try to determine, is this person's eye bleeding, yes or no? That's, that's if you had to condense it down, you know, what, what's the goal of the exam for the person that has diabetes? We're supposed to determine, is this person's eye bleeding? Yes or no? That's 99% of what we're supposed to do. Now, there's a few other things we're looking for that are associated with diabetes complications, but the vast majority of it is bleeding, the, the hemorrhaging, uh, all the things that we, we look for, microaneurysms and, and, and all the different types of vascular abnormalities. So we look in the person's eye, you know, we dilate them up. Every person that's listening that has diabetes and has been to the eye doctor knows the, knows the, 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 the protocol. You know, you sit in the room while your eyes are dilating in the dark. The doctor comes in, shines really, really bright lights at you. It's really uncomfortable. And then while you're still dazed, he or she will say, hey, you're okay. See you next year. You know, and it's all over. That, that is a way to do it, but that's not the best way to do it. Because what we know now, is that you can have clinical signs of, of diabetes, complications from diabetes, two, three, four, five, six years before your eye starts bleeding. Uh, Carrie, you're one of the, the leaders in the country that have identified uh, pre-diabetes and insulin resistance using multispectral imaging technology. I mean, there's, there's only 200 doctors in the whole country that have that technology. You and I are one of those too. Uh, I mean, we, we, so we, we understand it and we're trying to share the word. Uh, but this, this OCTA looks at it a different way, and for good or bad, you know, there's thousands of these things out in the country as opposed to a few hundred of the devices that we also have. So, you know, we got to move forward, I think, with the OCTA technology for the masses uh, for now. And so what, what, what I have seen, what you've seen, what hundreds of doctors have seen, what, what has been now written up for several years in the literature is that it is very likely and very possible that people that have diabetes will show what we now call subclinical changes, changes that cannot be visualized with traditional examination techniques. That is the definition. It's a, it's a fluid definition. So traditional examination techniques are designed to detect bleeding in the eye secondary to a person having diabetes. Well, I'm changing tradition in my office, just like you are. And, and the tradition in my office is to do OCTA imaging and multispectral imaging in addition to simply looking at the eye. So I'm gonna look at it. I'm gonna see if it's bleeding, 
But if it's not bleeding, that does not guarantee that there's nothing wrong with them. Uh, as a matter of fact, that, 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 that you asked the question, what's the percentage? The, the two or three articles that have actually studied it approximate the percentages at about 35%, you know, depending on the study. So it might go up to 30, it might down to 30, up to 40, but just say 35%. So if you line up 100 people that have diabetes, they go to the eye doctor. Uh, they're, they're there to see if they have any complications from diabetes. That's what they're there for. 100 people. You dilate them all up. They're sitting in line waiting to get examined. The eye doctor goes in and looks in there. And out of that 100 people, not one of them has any bleeding. Not one of them has any swelling. Not one of them has exudated formation, the, the regular stuff that we are trained to look for and identify and then communicate that finding to the patient and their medical doctor. So you line up 100 people with diabetes. And out of that, and, and again, you wouldn't have that in real life, but for the, for the sake of this conversation, that hundred out of that hundred people, not a single one of them has a drop of blood in the back of their eye, which is the the most traditional complication that that people are worried about bleeding in the eye. If you examine them with more sophisticated, advanced technology, OCTA imaging, multispectral imaging, and again, I don't know the stats on the multispectral. Probably haven't done one, but the stats on the OCTA is thirty five percent. And you will find 30, so you'll find 35 people out of that 100 that have changes in their blood vessel health, in the structure of the capillaries, something you can see, something you can measure. It's there. All you need is the right technology to see it. It can't be a $200 ophthalmoscope like you saw in some Norman Rockwell painting in the 1950s. It needs to be a $50,000 or $60,000. OCTA retinal imaging device if you want to see if there's something wrong with you. And what you find out is that out of those 100 people where you thought they were normal, well, 35 of them had something wrong with them. So if you don't have the right technology, and if the doctor doesn't have the right knowledge base, he or she is going to make an incorrect diagnosis 35% of the time when they line those 100 people up and say, they'll say, you know, so the patient's getting dilated, they finish the exam. Dr. Thomas, is my eye okay? Yeah, you're fine. See you next year. Next patient. Dr. Thomas, is my eye okay? Yeah, you're fine. See you next year. I'm going to send a note to your medical doctor. Tell him you're fine. You don't need to change that diabetes treatment at all. Everything's okay. You're great. You're good. Don't change nothing. Okay, if I did that to that 100 people, I'm going to be wrong 35 times. Talk about if you don't have the technology, you're going to be wrong 35 times. Talk about vascular density. And that's what the OCT is so great at. The OCTA is so great at. It is. It is really, really cool. So the, the, the vascular density is, is simply a, a metric or a measurement that the instrument calculates based on the, the, basically the density of the capillaries within a set amount of tissue. So if you can imagine taking a little square tissue, a little one millimeter square of retinal tissue, and then there should be X number of capillaries running through that thing. If there's a lesser number, then that, that density number goes down. And we have established normative databases for those values. So we know what a normal vascular density is versus what an abnormal vascular density is. And again, the, 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 it's one of the most important things that I show the patients and one of the most uh, significant things they key on because we can change it. And I've already changed it in people by getting them healthier. So I've got people where we put them on nutritional supplements, change their diet, get them to go weight loss, I've seen it change in six to 12 months where you can make people healthier if they want to be, and you can show it to and measure it. 
you know, I, you've heard me lecture on this topic and, and I always use, you know, one of my favorite patients, <laughs> the one who I just, I love this guy. He was actually in last week. Uh, I, I got a new Claris demo and I had him come in. Uh, and, and this is the guy you said, you heard me talk about him. Because if you have poor blood perfusion in the back of your eye, if your blood vessels are damaged because you have diabetes, and diabetes is a disease of the blood vessels. <clears throat> so if it's gonna, it's a disease of the blood vessels and it's a disease of the nervous system. Those are the two main target organ systems. And, and so if you've got low blood flow to the back of your eye, it's affecting your vision. You can't see well, I can measure it. Well, it would be almost impossible to suggest that you would have abnormal blood vessels in the back of your eye in the retina and not have abnormal blood vessels any place else in your body. I mean, that's just nonsense. And so whatever happens in the eye happens in the body. That's one of the things you've been talking about. You know, that the I can see the blood flow going down in your eye. Well, I know it's going down in your kidney. I know it's going down in your heart. I know it's going down in your brain. You might get a little early Alzheimer's going because your blood flow to your brain's not right. Okay. It's it's not isolated to the retina. The eye is the window to the body. And eye doctors are the guys that are doing the looking to see what's going on. Uh, we're the first ones in there trying to figure stuff out. Uh, so the, you know, what's the significance of it? I have seen in more than one patient where decreased blood flow, decreased ocular perfusion that I measure with my instruments, when I start asking questions, hey, do you have any other problems in areas that are connected to blood flow? And especially with men, you might be surprised at how often you get a response. And I'm like, well, you know, if you get this better, that might get better too. Uh, let's let's get to work on this uh, with with the proper motivation. And when you put it to a patient like that, you'd be surprised how motivated they get. And when you can show them the numbers, and especially when you can show them their numbers getting better, like, hey man, your blood flow is getting better. Keep it up. You know, you lost 20 pounds. You're taking the supplements. You're eating breakfast. You know, we're doing the right thing. You can't medicate your way out of. You can't take more insulin to fix this. Okay, you got to do it the right way. And and I've been able to help quite a few of my patients do it the right way by using this information as a motivating tool to show, hey, this is where we're starting. This is what we're dealing with. Look at how the blood flow over here is not, not really strong. You know, this is, this is the plan. You know, I want to see you back in four months and, and let's get to it, okay? And, I, and it really works good when you can show it to them like that. Uh, so, you know, you say, what's the significance of the, the blood flow and tissue perfusion? You know, it's just an eye thing. You know, they can still see okay. Well, yes and no. Again, I just told you, if it's happening in your eye, you know, it's happening in your body. Uh, if your eyes are healthy, your body's pretty healthy. If your eyes are sick, yeah, you might be sick too, okay? They, they do go together and you know that. Yeah, the eye bone's connected to the toe bone. The eye bone's connected to the toe bone. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, re it's really incredible because, because now the technology is so good that we could pick up disease so early or preclinical disease so early that we could reverse it. And that, like you said, you had that, you have patients and I have patients, we change their lifestyle and now the blood vessels come back. That, yeah, see that there, for most disease processes, as you know, uh, glaucoma is one of the, the prime ones. You know, there's, it's a gradual slow process to kill something, to, to damage something to where it won't recover. That usually takes a while. 
And, and so it's kind of a, you know, without sounding gory, you know, it's kind of a slow death. Well, because it takes a while for nerve fibers and stuff to die, if you catch them actually before they die, you know, if they're not, you know, too far gone, they can get better and you can get recovery. Uh, we can get recovery in, in optic nerve fibers with treating glaucoma. We can get recovery in, in meibomian gland dysfunction by treating meibomian glands. Uh, we can get recovery in, in blood vessel density by, by increasing the person's overall physical health. We can make people better if we catch the disease process early in its natural history. You know, you, you, I can't fix somebody with gangrene, but I can fix them if they look normal and I use my fancy machines to really see that they're not. I can fix them real easy then. It's real easy early. And as doctors, we're not really used to that. We've been no. trained that once something is wrong, it's wrong. We just want to try to prevent them from getting worse. We're not used to them recovering and doing better. Well, as you know, Carrie, and you've been the leader in this in our profession, one of the leaders, you know, our whole health system's based on fixing sick people, not making people healthy. You know, all the money's in disease, not health. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. like all, 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 these, all these guys with diabetes, I say, well, you know, I'm already taking two pills and insulin. I go, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we're going to go backwards. We're going to get off of this stuff. You know, more, more health, less drugs. Uh, it works fine. And it, it works fine. It works fine. You know, it works just as good. Food is like medicine if you have diabetes. You know, we're used to treating symptoms, not treating cause. And now with this technology, we could treat the cause. We could start talking about lifestyle. Macular degeneration is a leading cause of vision loss, with 15% of Americans being at risk or already affected. Scientific evidence proves that by using mesozeaxanthin, lutein, and zeaxanthin together, replenishes the macular pigment and promotes healthier vision. This formula comes in only one product, MacuHealth. Thank you for tuning in to the Open Your Eyes podcast. If you like the video you're watching, please hit the like button. Also, hit subscribe for weekly new episodes of the podcast, along with pod winks and bonus content. All right, let's get back to the show. You know, we talk about classifying diabetes, you know, back from 1989, but you proposed the Thomas classification of diabetic retinopathy. Talk to us about that. I think that's fascinating. And well, I, 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 I love that. I actually called a couple of guys to see if it had a chance of getting some traction, and they laughed at me. They said, man, you're hallucinating. Stop I it. love <laughs> it. I love I it. I thought it was I, great. I thought it was, well, because it's accurate. And I yeah, sent, when I sent to, my, to the PCPs and the uh, endocrinologists when I have a diabetic patient, I use the Thomas classification to tell the I, doctors what's wrong with their diabetic patients when it comes to the eye. You know, I tried to... They didn't understand it. Once I went past bleeding of the eye, they just tuned out. So, you know, so, you know, we haven't even talked about this yet, Carrie. So, you know, you asked me several minutes ago, you know, about subclinical disease. Okay. And we're, we're kind of concentrating on people that have diabetes, but there's a little bit of, of overlap and, and extra stuff that goes with that. So the second biggest thing, that I see in my office, and I'm, you see it too, we don't talk about it nearly as much as I think we should, is the neurodegeneration, okay? Nerve damage, okay? People with diabetes. Think about, if all, anybody out there listening got diabetes, okay, listening to the podcast right now. Uh, I've been practicing optometry for 35 years, I think. And I have lost count of the thousands of times I've had people with diabetes come in my office 
And I'll say, hey, Ms. Jones, how you doing today? You know, you okay? Uh, yeah, I got, I got a little tingling in my fingers and my toes. It's kind of painful a little bit. I said, oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Ms. Jones. You know, that tingling in the fingers and toes, okay? Carrie, how many times you heard your patients oh, man, complain man. about tingling in the fingers and toes? Sure. Okay, what, what is that? So Peripheral neuropathy. And now we could, we could see it in the eye. You're going to tell us how we could do that. I could see it in the eye. I could the see technology it. now that could tell us. I could has... see it. Okay, so, so, what you, so what I do now with my patients, <clears throat> different than, well, I've been doing it for a while. If you remember, Carrie, uh, the very first time I started talking about this was at the All Docs meeting at, when we went to the Broadmoor in Colorado. And I did that OCT lecture. That was the first time that I started talking about it. And I think that was like eight or nine years ago, man. Yeah, man. You know, that's when I first got wind of it, where you would, where I'd start seeing people with diabetes and I do scans on them. And, and you know, we've been trained and, and fixated on looking for what's called diabetic macular edema. That's the number one cause of vision loss in people that have diabetes. That's the most serious complication for most people. And that's when the, when the fluid is leaking in the retina and the retina is swelling up and it's too thick. And, and sometimes you can actually see it just looking at it. And it's usually real easy to see with these fancy OCT machines that we have. So we're always looking for increased retinal thickness. That's the, the sign, the, the marker. Uh, and then we, you, know, you have to figure out why it's thick. If the person has diabetes, that's the, the number one reason. Alternatively, but what has much less emphasis is what if the retina is too thin, okay? So, I mean, the retina, it's, it's like Goldilocks in the porridge. You know, is it, is it too hot, too cold, or just right? So is the retina of normal thickness, and, and you assess retinal thickness as a, a reflection of retinal health. So that's an indirect measurement of retinal health is measuring retinal thickness. So a person that has diabetes, you measure the thickness of their retina. It should be within a certain range, and then you call them normal. If it's above that range, then you say the retina is, is too thick or swollen or edematous, and, <clears throat> and that would be a complication. What if it's too thin, Carrie? So if it's too thin, That's what you have is an atrophic process where the nerve fibers are dying and almost like a sponge dehydrating and losing water, getting thinner and thinner and shrinking. <clears throat> so when the retina decreases in thickness, it is dying. It is atrophying there's some disease process that is negatively affecting it. That is the most abnormal finding and most uncommon, unless you have diabetes. And what the literature says is that 18% of people that have diabetes manifest their first complication as decreased retinal thickness, what is called neurodegeneration. The nerve fibers are dying. The diabetes is killing them. I'm not going to get into the mechanism. We almost don't understand it, but that's what's happening. And just like the diabetes damages the nerve endings on the tips of the fingers and toes and produces this tingling, burning, like you're walking on glass kind of thing is what people say sometimes. Well, that's nerve damage. Nerves, nerves are, or nerve damage is called neuropathy. So we've got back to the brain, the nervous system, we're talking about nerves now, neurodegeneration. The nervous system is basically broken into two divisions. You've got the central nervous system, which is the, the brain and the spinal cord, and then the peripheral nervous system, all the other little nerves that come off and, and extend all throughout the body. 
and, and the kind of the further away they go from the brain, the thinner and, and longer and more fragile they get. So the, 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 the fragile nerves are usually the first ones to go, and those are the ones furthest away from the brain. That's why people, they don't say they got tingling in their elbows and their shoulders. They got tinger, tingling in their fingertips and their toes, the stuff that's furthest away, the long, skinny, fragile nerves, they go first. So think about it in just a common sense mode. You don't have to be a doctor. If you've got nerves that are damaged down in your tippy toes and the nerve started in your brain, the brain is the central nervous system. The nerves way down in your tippy toes are the peripheral nervous system. Logic demands, common sense says that any kind of nervous system problem is going to probably start in the brain and then work its way down as opposed to something starting in the toes and working its way up. I said at the beginning of this podcast, think about it. The cranial nerve, the optic nerve, the nerve coming off the brain that goes into the back of the eye. As eye doctors, we looking at the brain. We're looking at brain tissue when we look inside the eye. The retina is part of the brain. If the retina is damaged, the brain is damaged because they're the same thing. We've got technology and instruments that allow us to really evaluate the brain. That's what we're doing. And the thinning that you talked about that tells us about the neuropathy within the eye, that's the, what instrument are we using for that? We're using the OCT without the angiography component, just the traditional OCT that's been out for 10, 12, 15 years that most eye doctors have, okay? So that's a big thing, because again, you can look normal with, you will. So let's say you don't have any bleeding, you don't have any vascular abnormalities. So you, I can, let's go back to that same 100 people that we talked about a little while ago. You got 100 people with diabetes coming in. There's 100 people listening to this podcast right now with diabetes, and they all go to one office, okay? We're doing a study. Uh, everybody gets dilated. We're trying to see if there's any complications from diabetes. We're doing a diabetes surveillance eye examination, okay? designed to detect the presence of any complications from diabetes. We dilate them up, look inside, not one drop of blood, no swelling, no nothing. They look fine. They are totally normal in appearance, okay? We do OCTA retinal imaging. 18 of them are gonna have retinas that are thinner than normal. That's what the literature says. And that is subclinical diabetic retinopathy. By definition, they have diabetic retinopathy. It has not progressed to the next stage in the natural history where they're going to start bleeding, okay, where, where we're all cued in to, to, to raise our hands now. So, so we're trained to not look for the first step and to raise our hands at the second step. Whereas you and I know to get to the second step took eight years. And we could have intervened long before then. Talk about electrodiagnostics and how that could help us with nerve disease. The electrodiagnostics is a, a special type of, of functional testing. So when we, when we do tests, so, so, you know, sometimes doctors can look at people and look at patients and, uh, you know, it, I know exactly what's wrong with you. I, you know, I can, I can do a clinical examination where I just look at you and I can figure out what's wrong with you. If I need to run some tests to figure it out, then I'm going to do a physical exam. That's the difference. So clinical exam is the doctor just looking at you. Physical exam is running a bunch of tests. The tests are designed to evaluate structure 
and function. So a, a simple way of, let's, let's say I fell on my, my arm and I, I, I got up and my arm was hurt real bad. And I would wonder if I broke my arm. I, you know, I looked at it, it looked okay. Uh, it would be the first test I might do. I might do an x-ray. An x-ray would evaluate the, the structure of my arm and it would show me what I couldn't see with the naked eye. So that structural evaluation for us is this OCTA and OCTA technology that we've been explaining to, to, to people listening. So we're, we're doing a structural evaluation there. Let's say, you know, I, I, I fell and, and, and hurt my arm. I got up, my arm's really hurting bad. And I wonder if I broke my arm, you know, I can't, it looks okay. You know, I'd have to have an x-ray to, to evaluate the structure, but I could also make some kind of assessment by evaluating the function of my arm. So let's say the function of my arm is to reach over and pick something up like you see here. So here I am using my arm, I'm using the function. If my arm was really broken, the function would be impaired. I wouldn't be able to do this as well, not as fast, if I could do it at all, if my arm was broken. So, so if you measure function, function is a way to see if the person's you know, normal versus abnormal, just like measuring structure. Electrodiagnostic testing is a way to measure function without asking the person any questions. That's a big benefit. So it's an, it's an objective test where I don't have to ask you any questions. You know, my, my, you know there, there's, there's two things that people seem to dislike going to the eye doctor's office. <clears throat> one of them is getting puffed in the air and the other one's answering questions. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like they come in, Dr. Thomas, you're not going to you're not going to puff my puff me with that air puff machine, are you? I go, yes, I am. Okay, just sit still, <laughs> be quiet. Okay, they, I mean, Carrie, how many times you heard that? You're not going to puff me, are you? I don't want to get puffed. You know, so so they don't want to get puffed. And then you put them in the exam chair. We get ready to check their vision. Dr. Thomas, you're not going to make me answer those questions. Which is better, one or two? I go, well, yeah, that's exactly what I'm getting ready to do. Why you, you've been here before? You know that's what I'm going to do. You know, well, I don't want to do that. I go, well, look, we got to do it. Okay, we got to do it. So so I got to ask questions. You got to give me an answer. Well, that's a subjective test. Some people don't like doing that. Some people just want to sit there and let me do all the work. Okay, well, that's an objective test where you just kind of sit in there. So electrodiagnostic testing is a way to measure visual function without you having to answer any questions. And what you do is it's pretty simple, pretty quick with the technology we have. It measures the electrical, it measures the strength and the speed of the electrical impulses going through the tissue after they've been stimulated. That, that's what it does. And just like with all the other tests that, that we can do, it has the ability uh, to detect subclinical disease. So again, I can have that same 100 people with diabetes, but the, the same 100 people that look totally normal. Uh, the, the, I say, hey, can you see fine? Yeah, I see, okay. Uh, then I'll do this, I'll do a, a, what's called an electroretinogram uh, and measure the function of their retina and the function would be decreased. And I'm like, hey, you know, you're not as okay as you thought you were. Okay, you know, what'd you have for breakfast? <laughs> okay, you know what, I, I mean, that's my cue. You know, as soon as I, as soon as I, hey, you know, when's the last time you went to the doctor? You know, when's the last time you checked your blood sugars? You know, tell me now, come on. So, I mean, if, if, if I see any decreased function, because again, just like we're keyed and trained traditionally to simply look for bleeding, from a function point of view, we're trained to identify what's called visual acuity, what everybody knows as 20-20. So if you have 20-20 vision or 20-20 visual acuity, 
then traditionally we say your visual function is normal. What we know now is that you can have normal 2020 visual acuity and abnormal color vision and abnormal retinal sensitivity, abnormal contrast sensitivity, abnormal dark adaptation. There's five or six ways to measure a person's vision, what's called different domains. So I can measure your vision in one domain. I can measure it in a second domain, a third domain. The measurement of visual acuity, which is what most of us do at the eye exam, is simply one domain. And everybody's different. So you might have you know, 10 people with diabetes, uh, five of them have complications. The first one may have decreased visual acuity, normal color vision. The second one might have a, a, a normal visual acuity where they still see 20-20, but you measure their color vision and it's abnormal. Well, that's abnormal then. The 20-20 means nothing. They, they, have, they have decreased visual function secondary to diabetes. Well, that's a big deal. And just because it's not visual acuity doesn't mean it's less important. There is damage to that person's neurovisual system. And it is our job to identify it, educate the patient, and recommend a treatment program designed to help them get better. And that's what we do. And which is so amazing because they have, we could pick up diabetic neuropathy, we could pick up diabetic retinopathy way before there's bleeding, where we could intervene with your five steps that you spoke about before, help these people stay there so they don't advance where they get bleeding in their eyes. And I, I got to tell you, Carrie, that I mean, I spend just like you, you know, a good portion of my day talking to people. Uh, I've got an army of staff that, that can you know, do this and do that and run this machine. And do, I mean, I, this is the, you know, if people don't understand this stuff, it's really hard for them to, to get better. And it's very satisfying. And I hear it on a regular basis, just like you, and I'm hoping the people listening to the podcast can understand, but on a, on a pretty regular basis, you know, I hear from my patients, man, I, I didn't know eye doctors did this kind of stuff. I, I, I didn't know you knew all this stuff. I thought you were just an eye doctor. I go, I am an eye doctor. This is what eye doctors do. <laughs> he goes, and then listen, I mean, their jaw, you know, they got to pick the jaw up off the floor. And it's like, I'm just, hey, man, I'm trying to help you. You know, this is what modern eye doctors do. I'm a modern eye doctor using modern technology, incorporating modern, up-to-date clinical knowledge. And, and when you do it like that, this is how we roll. Uh, it's better for us. It's better for them. It's just my only concern, just like you, is, you know, doctors like us are kind of still in a small group, unfortunately. You know, that it's we are not the average yet. Soon, soon to be the average. Soon, soon. soon Keep hope alive. Soon. So <laughs> there's a new test that I have that you recommended many years ago, but now it's been improved a lot where we could test pupils where the doctor doesn't have to check the pupils. An instrument could check the pupils and they could check it and the instrument checks it better than we can. Talk about that instrument. That that instrument is called iKinetics. So it's, it's a you know, I don't want to get too geeky doctorish. It's, it's an automated pupillograph. So it's a device designed to measure pupillary reflexes. So the pupil is the little black hole uh, right in the center of the eye. So if you've got a blue-eyed person, you can see the black hole right in the center. If the person has dark brown eyes, it's kind of hard to see it, but it's always there, of course. And the, the job of the pupil is to regulate the amount of light that comes in and out of the eye. So when the, when the light is real bright, the pupil will constrict down and get real small. 
uh, when it's real dim, like at nighttime, that people will dilate and open up and it let as much light into the eye as possible. Those, that mechanism, those, those pupillomotor reflexes, the constriction and the dilation is controlled by uh, the different little parts in the brain uh, and pathways in the brain. So it's a neuroanatomy thing, it's, it's a pathway. So there's a pathway in the brain, uh, kind of the, the, the highway that connects the brain to the pupils and makes the, the pupils constrict up and down. So it's all a little network there. Now, ordinarily, traditionally, the way we've been trained to assess whether the person's pupillary reflexes are normal or abnormal is to simply shine a light in the person's eyes and observe the response. And it would be something we've all been trained to do. It takes a few minutes, you know, a minute or two. Uh, and if the person has something wrong with them, and there's five or six or seven fairly significant things uh, that can make a person's pupillary reflexes abnormal, you know, that part of what we're supposed to do is trying to see if our patients are healthy. Do they have anything wrong with them? And I've, I've diagnosed probably 12, 15 brain tumors in my career. Uh, you know, I've been doing this a long time. So, I mean, I may go a year or two without doing it, but I've done it 12 or 15 times. And so if somebody comes in with a brain tumor, it's my job to tell them, hey, you're normal, or hey, you might have a brain tumor. That's my job. Uh, and I can't just be selling a pair of glasses because if they have a brain tumor and they came in my office, I am responsible for telling them they got a brain tumor. Uh, whether it's an easy one or a hard one, that's my job. Well, checking a person's pupils is one of those ways to do that. And so it's, it, it's measuring, it is another way to measure visual function. So let's say the person had a brain tumor. Okay, if it was off to the side and pressing on one nerve, one eye might be clear, one eye might be blurry. Okay, well, that'd be a pretty easy clue and I, I wouldn't take too long to figure that out. But what if it was not like that? What if it was a little small tumor? What if it was barely getting going? What if it was in the middle instead of off to the side? You know, so 20 different variations to where the vision might've been fine they might not have had any headaches. It may have been subclinical, which means they wasn't complaining and they didn't have a loss of function, not yet. And the only thing that may have been abnormal in the early stage of the disease might have been the pupillary reflex. If it was real subtle, <clears throat> I might have missed it. Uh, you know, it's a hard thing to do. It's not something we really concentrate a whole lot. So make a long story short, uh, once technology became available for me to replace me picking up a $10 flashlight and swinging it back and forth. Uh, I said, let me do what I do with all the other aspects of the way I take care of my patients. Let me use technology uh, that is what I hope one day will be traditional, but is now advanced. And, and let me improve the, the quality of care that I deliver. So I, I acquired the technology. And Gary, I must tell you, uh, I'm sure you've noticed it too. I mean, there's, there's not a month goes by that I don't pick up some person with some disease that would have easily been missed through traditional examination techniques. I actually had a couple of weeks ago, a week where I picked up three normal tension glaucomas in one week. Three patients with, with glaucoma, I'm sorry, you know, the normal tension glaucoma is the hardest type of glaucoma to diagnose. Uh, where the person essentially has no abnormal uh, uh, signs at all. They ain't complaining about nothing. And very few abnormal uh, symptoms. Again, uh, it just, it's, it's hard to, to, to diagnose that disease early. Uh, this technology allows me to do that. Uh, and what it does is it picks up 
the difference in pupillary reflexes between one eye and the other, and that's a sign of disease. Uh, it takes a minute or two to do the test. Uh, the only reason that probably every eye doctor in the country doesn't have one is because they're expensive. <laughs> okay, I mean, all this stuff's not, it's, none of it's cheap, it's all expensive. So your, your eye doctor has to want to practice like this. And unfortunately, not everybody's there yet. But almost again, kind of being facetious and comical, uh, anybody that's listening to this podcast, it'd be kind of funny, you know, next time you go to your eye doctor, hey, hey, Dr. Smith, uh, I heard this podcast and these two eye doctors were talking about this machine that called the eye kinetics that can check your, your pupils and see if I got a glaucoma case or brain tumor or anything. You got one of those down the hall? You can, you can run on me? Y'all got one of those right around the corner? Uh, it'd, be, it'd be kind of curious to see what the eye doctor would say if he didn't have one, if he or she didn't have one. I, I had a patient yesterday who was a 36, you know, so 35 is kind of the cutoff. On, on uh, That's the number we use for somebody being abnormal. Uh, 30, 35, and yeah, and the person had a mid a midbrain stroke. Wow, bad. You know, he had a poor gait, and you know, he had trouble walking. And you so know, you might have figured it out, but that made it so yeah. easy. Made it so easy. So we knew. It it so easy. yeah, I mean, you walk in the room, you already know what's happening. Yeah, it's so crazy. That's another. You know, again, kind of just in the whole theme of what we're talking about with you know trying to identify subclinical disease, disease that's early disease where the person doesn't know they have it, a disease where they haven't lost any function yet, they feel fine, they look fine, they act fine, because they are fine, almost, uh, you know, not really. So, I mean, the, the, we could do it just so many different ways now. And, and again, Gary, I, I, the same thing, man. I, I've got patients, I had one lady that we picked up multiple sclerosis, uh, you know, and she thought she had it, but she wasn't sure and she was scared and never went and got to, uh, scanned. You know, she, she kept de delaying the neurology visit. And I said, hey, look, you got, you got MS. And she said, how can you tell that? You're just an eye doctor. I go, that's what eye doctors do. I go, she goes, well, the last eye doctor I went to didn't do this. I go, that's why you're here. <laughs> okay, you know, you know, does it all make sense? She goes, yeah, I just, you know, I mean, they're just, it's almost like they're flabbergasted, you know, when we start pulling out this technology. Because it is still relatively advanced and relatively new and it is not, been incorporated into the mainstream yet they're primarily just because of the cost you know you've got to have a busy practice to afford this kind of stuff you know just guys out of school guys that aren't real busy it's hard to do uh, but but the people listening to this podcast i want them to know what's available you know and, and that you know we've got technology if you think there's something wrong with you man we could find it in an eye exam if you know there's something wrong with you we can make sure it's not getting bad in an eye exam I mean, there's just, the, you know, if the doctor's got the knowledge and the technology, there's really no limits to, to what we can do to help you uh, if there's something wrong with you. Talk about advanced color vision testing and how that could help us help our patients. The, the, the advanced color vision testing is similar to the, what we just spoke about with the, the, uh, the ERG, the electroretinogram, uh, you know, the functional, and, and with, the, with the eye kinetics. So these are all functional tests. And I, I said earlier, there's, there's five, six, seven ways we can measure a person's visual function. And I am really a strong proponent and believer of doing that. I think it, it ain't no think, it does. It, it absolutely gives you a much more complete and, and comprehensive assessment of the person's visual function when you have obtained data of, of their vision in multiple domains. So I wanna know what the person's visual acuity is. Okay, I wanna know that. I hope it's 2020. 
I want to know what the person's retinal sensitivity is uh, because the, if the retinal sensitivity is decreased, it, it's, a, it's a sign of glaucoma. So I may run a threshold visual field examination. Technology has been around for 50 years, but very valuable uh, because of what I just said. So, I, I, so I, I, I could measure visual acuity. That's one domain. I could do, I can measure retinal sensitivity. That's a second way to measure a person's visual function because that's what optometrists do. I can measure their retinal function via the, the speed and strength of the electrical signals going through it with an electroretinogram. That's a third way. I could measure it by measuring pupillary function with the iKinetics automated pupillograph. That's a fourth way. I can measure it with fancy, sophisticated, computer-assisted color vision testing. That's a fifth way. I can measure dark adaptation with a dark adaptometer that costs $50,000. That's a sixth way. And who's to say what patient has what results? So one patient could have four of those tests be normal and two of them be abnormal. Is that important or is it not? Shouldn't all six be normal if they're normal? So if there's nothing wrong with you, why would you have decreased retinal sensitivity and decreased color vision? I'd have to explain that. I can't just blow that off. I can't say this 50 year old guy has abnormal color vision. He's had diabetes for 15 years. Those things are not connected. And that's just an ancillary finding. That's just, I, he's okay. He's okay. He's, yeah, his color vision is messed up, but yeah, he's okay. Cause he's got 20, 20 vision. So the measurement of color vision, and again, it can't be like we were in school with some kind of book of plates, you know, like you're at your pediatrician's office. I'm talking about modern, high-tech, computer-assisted cone threshold testing, cone contrast threshold testing of color vision, sophisticated uh, uh, color vision testing, where I can see subtle changes, minor changes, changes in one eye to the other. That is just as important as visual acuity. If you came in and you had diabetes and one eye was 20-20, like it was the year before, and the other eye was 20-30, and that eye had been 20-20 the year before, I'd have to explain that. I, I can't just blow that off. I can't say, hey, Mr. Smith, you know, the, this left eye is fuzzy this year. Hey, I'll see you next year. You know, I'd have to say, hey, you got a cataract. You got glaucoma. This diabetes is messing with you. You had a stroke. I'd have to give him a reason, okay? And the the obtaining of the color vision information, along with the visual field information, along with the pupillary response information, all of that blended together is going to give me the best chance at making the most accurate diagnosis. And from the most accurate diagnosis comes the best treatment program. So if I know exactly what's going on, I can tell you exactly how to fix it. If I'm guessing about what's going on, then I'm probably going to be guessing about how to fix it. If I don't know what's going on, and what's worse, if I make the wrong diagnosis, which to me is telling you that you're normal when you're not, that's the worst thing I could do, is say, hey, you're okay, see you next year, and you got three things wrong with you, man, that's, that's the worst thing I could do. So as long as I don't do that, and I wanna do these others. So the color vision is simply another piece of the puzzle. And, it's, it's, and there's no one piece that's more important than the other to me. Uh, you can say some pieces are more traditional than the others. Uh, the, the, I, don't, I don't think the electroretinogram is more or less important than the threshold visual field, because in my clinical experience, which is significant, everybody's different. And, and there's no law that says, or rules or, or paradigm that says that the threshold field is always going to go first and the color vision is going to go later. So, so you can have a person where they might have abnormal color vision caused by 
diabetic neuropathy in the threshold visual field and the electroretinogram is normal. So what if you only ran three tests and those three are normal and you say, okay, patient, you're okay. You know, your visual acuity is normal. I did a visual field test on you, it's normal. I did an ERG on you, that's normal. You're normal, see you next year. You got a color vision test down the hall that you didn't turn on because you're thinking this person's normal. If you go do that color vision test, what you're gonna find is that 22% of the time, they're gonna have abnormal color vision. That is visual loss secondary to diabetic retinopathy. And almost always you'd see neurodegeneration along with that, almost always. How does it help us with glaucoma color vision? The same exact thing. Uh, you know, this, the, the glaucoma, you know, glaucoma is, is damage to the, the optic nerve. So the nerve fibers are, are they're being damaged and destroyed by the disease process. Uh, as enough of the fibers in the macula, because it's got to be in the center of the eye, if those fibers are damaged, uh, then, then again, you, you'll have decreased color vision. And, and it, it's not really the specific test. So it's, it's not that the color vision test is specific to glaucoma or the color vision test is specific to persons that have diabetes. It's simply a test of visual function, no more or less than the others in my mind. So again, when I, when I have a patient that has an existing disease, let's say diabetes, I wanna determine if there's any complications. Do I wanna see if there's a loss in one domain, in three domains, in five domains? Yeah, I'm gonna go five domains if I can. Because what if I only go three and the two I didn't test were the two that were abnormal? So now I'm giving the per now I'm doing the worst thing, which is telling the person they're normal when they're not. And I avoid that like the plague. <laughs> so I do as many tests as I can, as often as I can, because I think that's the best way to take care of my patient. That's that's the best way for me to see is there something wrong with my patient associated with them having diabetes? Yes or no. That's that's it. Well, I want to thank Dr. Craig Thomas for joining me today. Powerful words for Dr. Thomas. He loves taking care of his patients. I don't think there's anybody out there that takes care of their patients better than Dr. Thomas. If somebody wants to get in touch with you, Dr. Craig Thomas, how could they do that? Uh, my cell phone is 972-658-0545. That's probably the best way. Just call me, leave a message, I'll call you back. And if they want to make an appointment, where do you practice exactly? Oh, man, I'm, in, I'm in Dallas. <laughs> That's comical. I don't know about you. <laughs> you know, we're in pandemic mode, man. I, <laughs> this is the weirdest time in my entire career. It's, it's, it's you know, uh, if you called my office tomorrow morning and you want me to examine your eyes, like middle of January, okay? It's like that. Uh, we're, I mean, uh, we're booked out so far ahead. I'm losing money. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, I'm losing patients right now. Uh, they can't get in. Uh, because we're in a, you know, kind of pandemic mode where we are not at 100% capacity. So, I mean, I changed the whole office. We restricted the seating. Uh, I had to release one of my associate doctors. We, you know, a year ago, we'd have three doctors in there seeing 80, 90 patients a day. You know, it was, it was like being at the club, you know, could <laughs> be people sitting on top of each other. Uh, it's so loud you couldn't hear. Well, nobody's into that anymore. Uh, I'm not, my patients are not, my staff is not. That's the last thing I want. So we scheduled, you know, I'm seeing half the patients I used to see. I'm only working three days a week. As a matter of fact, Carrie, uh, I'll talk to you about this later. Uh, we thought about this uh, yesterday, my partner and I, 
we thought about going to a schedule <clears throat> like the guys in the Louisiana where we'd go five days on, five days off. So I'd work five straight days, then I'd take five straight days off. My partner would work, you know, five on, five off, and we would alternate the two of us. Uh, and each of us would work 130 days a year. I'm thinking of doing that, you know. It'll be six, eight months, man, before we get this vaccine. You know, I'm 60 years old. I don't want to get sick, uh, you know. So it's just, you know, it's a weird deal. So, I mean, if anybody... If you, here's how you get to see me. If you don't want to wait till January to get a regular eye exam, if you want some glasses of contacts, if there's something wrong with you, you got to declare an emergency and I'll see you tomorrow morning. Uh, so, so all my patients know the, know the secret code. You call in the office, I'm having an emergency. What's wrong with you? I got a spear in my eye. I need help. And they'll say, come now. Okay, I'll see you then. And come, right, <laughs> come in right there. <laughs> Otherwise, you're going to wait too much to get an appointment. <laughs> Well, thanks, Craig. It's powerful words from a powerful person, a great doctor, a great educator. I want to thank you for joining me. Thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Press boy feet. I have no idea how to say that. Press biopia. Presbyopia might be the ability to see Presbyterians. There are people who are afraid of the press. I have no idea what it is, honestly. Presbyopia. A condition in which the eye loses its ability to focus. Making it hard to see objects up close. I've heard the bifocal, but not right, multifocal. Not multi I have never heard of multifocal contact lenses, no. Since I bought Safe For You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe For You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe For You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe For You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe For You is because it's safe for me and you.